Lord, what a wonderful start to a morning together with you. Open our ears. Open our eyes. Oh God, may we be a generation. May we be a people desperate for you. And you give. Hmm. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, grab your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 1. If you've been here for a few weeks, hopefully you're beginning to get a crease in your Bible there, about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. If you're still not sure or if you're new and not sure where that's at, just turn to your contents page and you'll find Daniel in the Old Testament turned there. We just don't want to talk about things. We want to uh, dig into the Word of God. And if uh, you're not used to bringing a Bible to church, we've got some around here. They just raise your hand. They can grab one, let you borrow one, and just want to encourage you to be bringing a Bible because that's what we're about. And uh, we've been spending, uh, this is now our third week in the book of Daniel in the Bible. And week number one, we started basically getting an overview and understanding and introduction to the book of Daniel and the time setting. And uh, this book takes place in the very beginning in 605 B.C. is where we find ourselves. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is uh, taken over Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel at the time, the only kingdom that was remaining. The northern kingdom had already been taken over by Assyria. And God had allowed Assyria to come in and take over the northern kingdom of Israel as a judgment upon them that he had been calling them, return to me, and they didn't. And then it was the same thing with uh, the kingdom of Judah. And God had the same uh, allowed judgment to come upon them through the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar took over. And uh, then last week, we picked up in verses 3 through 16 and started getting a glimpse of what happened after that. It narrows down in. And we, if you remember, we saw Ashpenaz, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's chief official, who comes in. His job was to go and select uh, some of the teens of, from Judah, of the Israelites, some of the best of the best. If you remember, we were talking about them. They are teens or in the teen years. They're supposed to be uh, youths in that time period. They were um, really good looking, six-pack ab, really smart, uh, incredibly wise, amazing teens, frankly. And they were going, and Ashpenaz was picking them out, selecting them out. And, and then the reason for that was they were going to take them off to Babylon for a three-year training program at the King's Academy, if you will. And this three-year training program really was about brainwashing them. It's about trying to turn them into useful tools for Nebuchadnezzar's use to really control the Israelites during his reign. So we find that uh, in the text from last week, uh, God gives these four teens favor and compassion. What a cool thing God gives. God gives them favor and compassion. And uh, he gives them favor and compassion because they go to their steward and they say, hey, uh, because of uh, we don't want to eat food that's been offered to idols and such, we don't want to be conned into what you're doing. And uh, one of the areas we can uh, drive a steak in the ground is this. Can we eat at the veggie bar every meal and while those guys eat the barbecue stuff? And uh, the steward is granting them favor and compassion. And so they go to veggie bar. There's a manly place to go, isn't it? As a team, but they do. 
And as last week we talked about, uh, God ruled in their convictions in their life because God was that big. Well, let's pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1, verse 18. Okay, verse 18, let's pick up there. And in the beginning it says, verse 18, at the end of the time. At the end of the time. Now, let's pause there. Because here's one of the things. It's easy just to kind of go from uh, the story of they were selected to the story of they wanted to eat veggies to the story of later on at the end of the time. Well, here's my question. Just the way I think, I think those of you who are regular here, I'm just a little bit like I think about some of these things in, in Dougie's odd world. And I just go like, what was the time? Well, the time was three years as we had learned last week. They're going to take them off to the academy for three years and do some training and some, uh, frankly, some manipulation in their lives. So here's just one of the things to understand. So we just don't bypass those three years. Where were you three years ago? Three years ago. Where were you? Or let me put it this way. If uh, uh, What's happened over the last three years in your life? Three years. See, so that means I was... 32, 33, 34. So in the last three years, what's happened? This is kind of ironic, I'll put it this way, because this week I was thinking about that, and I was going three years ago, and I thought back, and I thought, boy, that was kind of a a big time in our own life and Karen in my life. And so I called Larry Woods. I said, hey, Larry, when was it that actually uh, we, uh, Karen and I were kind of officially, we came down here and it was officially that uh, I was going to be the the pastor of the Harvest Plant here. And he looked at his calendar. He said, September 20th, 2007, three years ago. And I look back at that and go, wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You know, it's neat sometimes how God just works details like that with teaching. I didn't plan on that. This week is the week would be three years that that took place. What's happened over the last three weeks for us? Because I know you're just, or three years, because I know you're just dying to know. But uh, no, I just, in it, I think about it. We started traveling back and forth at that time to work with the launch team here. At that time, there were about uh, 35, 40 people. And so we began working with them and preparing to launch as a church. And so we're driving back and forth from Chicago. We were up in Chicago with Harvest. And, and then Nick uh, was brought on staff to be our worship pastor. By the way, is that like a blessing? Wow. Three years ago, I never would have thought that would happen. Ah, pretty cool stuff. Uh, you know, we go on, we launched March of 2008. We had people actually showed up. And it was more than 40, and we had people. And so we began working and trying to, you know, get to know them and assimilate in and just get DNA and just a number of things going on. Our, our son got married, and um, our daughter went to college, and you know, our, our son graduated with his wife, and, and then our daughter's still in college, and, you know, she, but she's going to be married here at the end of this year, and, and yet God's done so many things over the last three years, and some of that includes some real life heartaches as well, as well as some real blessings. There's been some hard times in the last three years, but what about for you? I'm going to assume for you as well. There's been some marvelous blessings, and there's been some real heartaches. And in fact, you may be right at a time where you're in a massive blessing. You may be right at a time where you're just in a major heartache right now. Three years of life. 
I, I pause on this because we could look at this text and just buzz right over it, but here were these four youths, these four teens, for three years. Now imagine three years of your life, and you have no choice in your life. None. Zippo. Nada. The big O. You've got none. Three years of your life, and you're a slave. You're a kidnapped slave. Three years. Now, three years technically in that time, the way they calculate it, could actually be about two and a half years or it could be three and a half years because two and a half years, you're now into the third year is how they would do it or still in the early three. So it's somewhere in there. So I'm going to term it this way. It could have been anywhere from like 900 days to 1300 days at this, this time. So let's pick the middle. A thousand or somewhere in the middle. A thousand days, a nice round number. A thousand days. Think about this. For these teens, a thousand mornings waking up in a foreign land, in a foreign bed, and in a place you never asked to be at. A thousand of them. Imagine a thousand choices every morning on how you're going to view that day how you're going to face that day. <laughs> a thousand nights in a, I don't know what the setting was like, but a thousand nights in a dorm with some other Israelite teens. Now that could have been a blast. And I'm sure there were some nights that was really irritating. A thousand nights. Oh, by the way, most of those teens, I think we're going to see in the coming weeks, began the slow fade into where you don't want to go. And it became a broader and broader gap over those thousand days between you and them. And in fact, we could put it this way. There were 3,000 meals to where you and the three of your buddies were the oddball teens going to the veggie bar while they're over there going to the Bob's Big Bodacious barbecue table. A 3,000 choices Am I going to keep going there or am I just going to give that up because I really question if it's even worth it. Let's go there. 3,000 choices. 3,000 times the other guy's going, what's your deal? You're a snob. Or maybe you're just a dork. I don't know. A thousand days at the most pagan academy on earth trying to be intellectually sold a bill of goods. Imagine this, a thousand days to where you're wondering where your parents are and if they're even alive. And what about your brothers or sisters? A thousand days. Think about that because that all of this begins leading itself into having countless moments to be able to coming to a place in your life to where you're just bitter and angry and irked off because you've gotten ripped off in life. A thousand days to decide to bag it and just buy into the comfort and pleasure advertisements that you're seeing every day. 
after all, I deserve something good. Imagine a thousand days of knowing that you're going to come before Nebuchadnezzar. What are you going to do? Are you going to try and plan how you can take him out at that moment? Or are you going to try and figure out how do you handle the whole situation with before Nebuchadnezzar and what's going on? Uh, Let me take it to this one. A thousand days of questioning God's fairness. A thousand days to where you're questioning whether God really loves. A thousand days questioning whether God really is in control or God, whether he really even cares about what's going on in your life. Because right now, your life bites. You're a slave. Listen, listen. this was not camp for these two. At the end of that time, Well, at the end of that time, something happens. Uh, at the end of the time, when the king had commanded they, that they should be brought in, the chief priest or the chief official brought him in before Nebuchadnezzar. And look at verse 18. And the king spoke with them. Uh, now, I kind of lighthearten it up a little bit here. Um, kind of, I, I think, a jeopardy. Um, they come before the king. Uh, literally, the, 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 the translation could be the... The king had words with them. And again, here's where I go. What words? I'm wondering, what did this look like? I mean, was there music coming in? What's the Jeopardy music? You see, I'm not smart enough. I would never be on the show. Never. I don't even know. I forget. But anyway, here it is. What was it like? I mean, was it coming before Nebuchadnezzar? Were you there by yourself before him and nobody else around? And he's there and he's walking around you with a list of questions. And he's going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And just trying to push you. Just trying to understand what are you really made of? You know, are you man enough to be able to handle what's coming ahead? Or, or, or are they doing them all in a panel where they put them all, you know, three or the whole thing's filled with them. And their heads are on their desk because there's no cheating you know, and their heads are on the desk. And he asks a question, and it's like, okay, Daniel, your hand was up first. I don't know what it was like. Was it, was it like King Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, uh, Babylonian culture for 300. I don't know how this happened, how this went. But we do know this. They came before the king after three years of all this time and training and preparation. And listen, it was at this point, this was a pinnacle point, because what their life was about to look like after three years, they knew... Uh, this was a decision moment. Were they going to be, I don't know, killed? Were they going to be, I don't know. But they come before the king. I so wish I knew what the questions were. I so wish I knew what the setting was like. Uh, But I think we can agree this. It was intense. I mean, I just... (laughs) If I were, I would never make it as far. I because I'm not. I just don't work like uh, uh, some of you who have the ability to be on Jeopardy and just you know no useless facts. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I, I just I'm just not wired that way. I'm experiential. I'm very visual and just how I think and comprehend things. And, you know, but I just imagine if I were there, and some of you probably could be there. Uh, you know, I, you'd be nervous. Because you're like, 
all my family knows, everybody knows, am I going to look like an idiot? Am I going to be the guy leaving with minus 50 bucks? Uh, you know, I, I mean, this was an intense moment, but this was, we're kind of having a little fun with this, but this was before King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the universe from a human perspective at the time. And you're before the man, and it's time. And so what was the result? Uh, who's the winner? What's the ding, ding, ding? Well, let's take a look. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs, the chief official, brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, had words with them. And among all of them, here's the result, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These boys, they put it on the table. Boom! I mean, they laid it, they won. In fact, speaking of Jeopardy here, just trying to have a little bit of fun with this, uh, Jeopardy's biggest winners, uh, Ken Jennings in 2004, he won 74 games in a row. What an intellectual stud. I mean, I just can't even imagine that. 70, I remember this. Karen and I remember this. It was a big hubbub. I mean, everybody's watching. Is it one more? Is it one more? Is it one more? He was incredible. And it wasn't like he generally won by like five bucks. I mean, it was oftentimes he crushed people with a smile on his face too. Uh, but then Brad Rutter came along in 2005. Uh, Jennings ended up, when it's all said and done, winning two and a half million dollars. And I guess that was with the Jeopardy Championship and the whole thing. And then Brad Rutter comes along in 05, and he actually wins up uh, $3.2 million. <laughs> Can we say this? Those guys were head and shoulders above everybody else. There were none like those. Uh, that's Daniel. That's Hananiah. That's Mishael. That's Azariah. Those boys at the test... King Nebuchadnezzar saw that they were way above everybody else. But look at this. The text doesn't stop there. I mean, I'm already impressed, but it keeps on going. Verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom, uh, every, and in every matter of wisdom, and in every matter of understanding about which the king inquired them. Again, I'm just dying to know what he was asking them, what it was, because this wasn't just trivia. Uh, this is also about can they process life issues because the words that are used here in Hebrew talk about intellectual academic capability, but also talks about words that have the use of this idea. They can process and have wisdom to understand and separate things out. And the king, he found them 10 times better. <laughs> better than who? Better than all the magicians and the enchanters in the entire kingdom. That's talking about better than all the adults. I mean, these 15-year-old boys, they come in, call whammo. The king's like, whoa, did I hit the jackpot? I wonder what these boys are eating. That was supposed to be a joke from last week, vegetarian. Okay, anyway. Okay, sorry. Okay, so here they are in this, and they're going along, and the king's like, my word, look at these four. They are not only above all the other teens, there's no one in my entire kingdom that's like them. And he uses the word, two words of magicians and enchanters. Magicians. The root word for this originated meaning to cut or to scratch. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, it was literally referring in the early times to an engraver or to a writer. 
it eventually got also the inclusion of the idea of a diviner or astrologer or a magician. Now, understand, this was not, you know, pulling rabbits out of hats. This wasn't David Copperfield stuff. This wasn't even kind of freaky stuff like Chris Angel kind of stuff. This was men who were involved in kinds of things such as the meticulous preservation of all of the religious activities taking place in the kingdom for the king. However, that, that's where that word, the engraver, kind of is a part of that. That was actually part of their job is recording. But also part of their job was involved in employing rites and spells intended to heal. They'd exercise demons or counter evil spells. They studied omens in order to try and understand the future. It included astrology and dream interpretation, and they were supposedly in touch with the world of the spirits and the gods, and that was part of it as well. And these men, these magicians, were constant available advisors to the king. Uh, enchanters. Enchanters were conjurers. They were incantation priests. They're, they're a little bit unique in that they were believed to be able to communicate with the other side. Okay? Now, these four guys, they were head and shoulders above all of them ten times. Whoa! These are teams. Uh, uh, by the way, put that in the back of your mind and retain that for weeks ahead. Because in weeks ahead, we're going to encounter the magicians and the enchanters and their attitude towards these four boys. I wonder where their thinking about them is going to go when these four are making these dudes look like nursery school. I'm going to guess some good things are probably not going to happen in their relationship together. Well, that's the setting. Uh, what's the prize? Uh, what's the prize here? Well, end of verse 19. Therefore, they, speaking of the four, stood before the king. This was not a photo op. Uh, this was the type of thing where actually, I'll put it in modern day to kind of get the picture. It would be this. Uh, they were so impressive. They're 10 times above everybody else that they were put in the White House, not as a president, but they were put in White House as access and possibly for training down the road to be part of the... In part of the advisors of the king. That's what these four were. But understand, it's not like, oh, they hit the jackpot. They just made it successful. Please understand this. The reality is, is that these boys, they are slaves. You may go, man, they're in a good place as slaves. Okay. But they still are slaves. Oh, oh later on, we're going to... Uh, we're going to refer to the fact when Daniel prays in an open window. Where's that open window facing? Um, his home, Jerusalem. I'm going to tell you, these four, they loved their homeland. And they loved the God of their homeland. And so this was not camp heaven. But yet, God blessed them. <laughs> Frankly, God ends up blessing Nebuchadnezzar through them. We'll wrestle with that later on. Now, some possible takeaways here. Uh, here's one possible takeaway that uh, I've heard, and I just want to say be careful. 
Here's one possible takeaway. Uh, man, these guys are spiritual giants. Wow. I want to be like them. Okay, now there is a truth to this from this standpoint. I love narratives in the Bible because narratives tell story of real people experiencing real faith situations in life. And we do look at these four. And I go, as a 48-year-old man, I go, I mean, goodness sakes, here's these 18, 19, 20-year-old teens, these, at the time when they were selected, these 15-year-old teens. And I am like, wow. But be careful there. Because the story isn't about the men. Okay? You see, it could move into the, uh, aren't I great? Another one here that could be taken away we need to be careful of is, and I've heard it at times, you know, if you want to, as a Christian, understand what strategy or strategy for success is, go to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 is a story about how to be successful and reach success for God. Um, and usually what that means is, is how to get high places and wealthy. Can I just say this? This is not a prosperity gospel. Okay, this isn't about a come to Jesus, come to God, and everything will be taken care of. Because remember this, uh, I'm, I'll just state it this way. I am making an assumption that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are not the only four Israelites from Judah on the face of the earth at that time that are faithfully serving and worshiping the Lord. I'm just going to make an assumption that there are other men. Maybe even Daniel's parents or brother and sister or friends. I don't know. But, but can we make an assumption? There's probably some other people on the face of the earth from the kingdom of Judah that are honoring the Lord where they're living. And I'm going to tell you what. You know what? They're faithful. They're loving the Lord. They're living to glorify the Lord. And yet every day they're waking up with zero in their pocketbook. They're exiled out. They're living in the desert trying to hunt down snakes to grill for that night. They're not experiencing all of this stuff. So please, let's not take this and go, Jesus is my way to wealth. Let's bag that idea. How about this? Jesus is my way to be able to be a child of God and live for him. That's more where we're going. Uh, let's third, just be real careful that it doesn't go this direction either. They ate veggies and got really smart. So eat your veggies and, and stick to Mother Earth. Okay, this is not a eat the organic uh, passage of the Bible. Eat your vegetables. Okay, no problem with that. But listen, I even want to take this into this realm. This is not giving some one plus one plus one plus one. If I do these religious formularic things, I'm going to end up being uh, successful in my own definition. That's not what this is talking about. So this, here's the question. What should we be amazed about from this text? Here's one word, God. Let's be amazed about God in this text. Uh, what am I referring to? Well, here, one verse, oops, we skipped from last week to this week. Verse 17, verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them. You see that? God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel, oh, by the way, had an, on top of that, had an understanding in all visions and dreams. 
Here's the deal. It says God gave them learning, uh, intellectual knowledge. God gave them skill, uh, wisdom to be able to discern right from wrong. You see, they were reading all of these books and recordings. God gave them the ability to retain all of that. I'm the kind of guy, I read the book, takes the test the next day, ask me what the book is about. Are you beginning to think I'm really learning disabled? Um, God gave them ability to retain this stuff. And God gave them the ability to understand what was true and what was untrue in it. That's what it's saying. God gave that to them. Hey, this is a story about God. God gave them this ability. Oh, and by the way, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, uh, meaning the ability to discern true revelatory visions and dreams from false ones, and the ability to comprehend, the ability to interpret ones that are right. Uh, Now, in that day, uh, they believed that uh, the gods spoke through dreams. And so anybody who had the ability to interpret was highly prized. Uh, We're going to be getting into this next week. Uh, By the way, uh, look, verse 17 is put in between what verses? And 18. Okay, 16 and 18. Now, 16 is talking about how they were a good steward of the food, uh, uh, or the steward took away their food and their wine that they drank and gave them veggies for the three years. And, And then verse 18 picks up at the end of the time. So here's a question. When did verse 17 happen? When did verse 17 happen? Hmm. It would just seem to be, well, before I go there. Go to verse 2. Look at verse 2. You see, there's a recurring theme going on here. Verse 2, it says that God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, if you write in your Bible, I really encourage you to do that. Underline it, circle, God gave, star it, uh, highlight it. God gave, verse 2. That was week 1. Week 2, when we were studying, look down at verse 9. What does it say in verse 9? And God gave Daniel favor and compassion. Circle, underline, highlight, God gave, verse 9. That was week number 2. I purposely didn't bring today into last week because we generally want to go to the really cool ending and forget all the details of what took place. But here and now we're in verse 17. And what is God shown doing here? He's giving. Three times we see in the text. I want to say in chapter 1, there's a theme in the text. God gives. God gives. Now let's take a quick look back on what God gives. Because I like giving. Do you? Uh, it's really meaning, I love receiving. Uh, you know, receiving's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Oh, come on, all you liars. Hey, isn't it a wonderful thing? I'm all about receiving. You know, and here's the fact, God gives. I'm, I'm jazzed about this. Let's go back and take a look at what God gives. Okay, because it's going to be good. Verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with all the temple items. <laughs> we studied in verse we, verse week 1. This was a judgment. Here's the point. Listen, rejoice. God gives judgment. You know, and if you're not used to going to church, you're thinking right now, oh man, he's going to get all higher uh, fire and brimstone on me, hellfire and brimstone, whatever that is, and all that on me. And, and he's going to get all angry and mad on me. And I just want to bring out, here's the thing. You know what? 
God gives judgment. And I am really glad. And I am really glad, as we talked about, that God's judgment is long-suffering. Because I deserve judgment without any grace. And yet God's long-suffering is placed upon me and you. But I'm also really glad that God does judge. Because you know what? Otherwise, all the junk, all the sin, all the evil, God's going to take care of that. And God's going to take care of it rightly and perfectly and wonderfully. And we will not be able to accuse him of one bad choice in that whole judgment thing. But God judges. And you know what? God judged them. He had even given them advance warning that he was going to judge them. But they still didn't repent. And yet God gives judgment. I'm grateful for that sometimes because you know what? There are times in my own life when I need to be judged for something to help me bring me back to him. It's always done out of love. But God does give judgment. Uh, and we know, by the way, what time he gave that. He gave it right then when Nebuchadnezzar came in and took him over. Verse 9, God gives something else here. Now we're getting happier, okay? Because God gave Daniel favor and compassion. Isn't that neat? You see, we kind of go from this God bringing judgment, we feel like God's way far away, and now we come into this thing where actually God gives favor and compassion to these four boys. And I put it this way as I'm walking up to you. It's more like, listen, God knows the details of your life, and God wants to be in on it. And God gives favor and compassion on these four teens. Isn't that neat? God is personal. And not just way back. It's personal involved. And he brings blessing, not just judgment. Now look at verse 17. When did this happen? And for these four years, God gave them learning and skill in all literature. I've been wrestling with this all week because actually this verse is not technically either by the form of the words or technically when you read through it, is it attached specifically to a period of time? Actually, I think this is a parenthetic statement. In fact, in my Bible, I have parentheses starting at verse 17 and ending verse 17. What am I talking about here? Well, quickly, let me do it this way. One, think about it this way. Psalm 139 verse 13 says that God formed us before time. And Psalm 139 13 says this, and he knitted us together in his mother's womb. You know what? Could that verse be referring all the way back to then? Because here's one of the things that's interesting about that verse. The verse, the part with Daniel, he was given ability to interpret dreams. What did that have to do with anything? That's just kind of like put in there. Uh, why? Uh, this could be all the way back in a big parenthetic general statement this way. As for these four youth, God, Psalm 139, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Hey, there's a wonderful truth out of that. Do you know that God equips us to be able to handle everything that comes our way? Even all the way back before time. God is that intimately involved in the details and the situations of reality. That's so cool. It could be all the way back then. This could actually be referring to at the time of verse 4. 
Verse 4, the selection. You know, Ashpenaz, go pick out these studly youths and they're really smart and all this stuff. Maybe God equipped them right then. It could be. Because part of the thing is the words that are used there are the same words are part of the criteria in verse 4 that King Nebuchadnezzar gives Ashpenaz. It could be that right then, before they were selected as a 15-year-old teens, God just went poof and gave them and breathed this gifting on them. Or maybe it's right after they were selected. So in other words, in time past, in Psalm 139 time, God had already equipped them just to be really special, unique, gifted young men, head and shoulders above everyone else in, in Judah. And then all of a sudden they get selected. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to prepare you for the next three years. Here you go. Go. And he gives them increased skill for literature and increased wisdom to be able to comprehend it for the next three years to handle everything that comes. Or maybe it is chronologically. Maybe it is referring to the time to where, if you will, by their natural God-given ability, Psalm 139, they came all the way through the point. It's been God all the way anyway. But they come all the way through the point. Maybe this verse is referring to that point where right before they come to the king, God just says, I'm going to turn the notch up gifting a little bit more. I don't know which one it is. It frustrated me for so much of this week. Ask my wife. Because I, I wanted to teach when this happened. And yet I have to step back and just right now as I've wrestled through this text, and I said, I think it's kind of cool that God may have just left this to mean all of it. That God, for these four use, God gave them skill and ability. Big God. You see, the story's all about God in this. God gave them. He gave them what they needed right when they needed it. Whenever that was, God gives. This whole passage screams God. So here, in wrapping it up, three things. Number one, God gives. God gives. Do you know that? God gives. I have no idea maybe what your background is. Maybe you grew up in a church where it's like God's just like this. You know, or God's like, I'm just waiting for you to mess up so I can just take you out. Or maybe your view has been like God is this Scrooge and he's kind of got all his coins, you know, all his stuff. And he's, he's like, hey, don't touch it because I'm stingy. Hey, I want to let you know, God gives in fact, listen to a couple of these passages. Uh, one of them, Psalm 139, we've already talked about. He gives us his personal attention on life and breath. Another one, Romans chapter 1. God gives the plain revelation of himself to all. Uh, isn't that cool? Listen, I want for you to know that if you're searching for God, God doesn't make it like a, a maze where it's like really hard to find me. He's like, here, I'm here. I'll put it this way. I'm here, I'm here. Where is he? He's here. And he says, come. If you will seek me, you will find me. God gives. God gives himself. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's not talking about biological son. It's talking about the equivalent one of. Second person of the Trinity. God gave himself. Bible talks about God gives gifts. God gives grace. God gives trials. I wrestle that one. God, uh, verse 2 of Daniel 1. God gives faith. God gives wealth. Do you know the Bible even says that God gives poverty? I want that one. I wrestle that one. Hey, hey, God gives. 
Do you believe that? I just want to quickly add in here on this topic of God gives as far as how he gives. I think so often we are looking for the parting the sea, the donkeys talking acts too light kind of situation on how God gives. I'm just going to say this. Most of God's giving is unknown, unseen, and unfelt. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that we cannot even take credit for the good works that we might do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that God, in advance, had already preordained things to happen so that even when I do something that's good, it's like, look at me, not. It's like, that was all about God. I, I love the... I love the tongues coming down from fire, you know, from heaven. So I've never seen that, but, you know, those kind of events. And praise the Lord for them. But I, I have this question. The Lord giving in verse 2, did, did Nebuchadnezzar and Jehoiakim know that God was actually doing that? I, I ask in verse 9, God gave Daniel favor and compassion. In all that, uh, did, did, did Daniel know that God gave that was like <laughs> kind of an event where it was like, whoa, I just got something. I'm just going to say, I, I don't think so. Here in verse 17, is this the kind of thing where is God giving him learning and skill that it was all of a sudden this a poof, you know, big? No, I, I don't think so. I think likely most of these are just the ongoing things. And I just want to say this, don't take credit because God gives. God gives. Two verses, I'm running over time here. Two verses, Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards. Do you believe that God rewards? God rewards. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. God isn't here for me. I'm here for God. Now that needs to be the directional focus of the reality of things. But also at the end of verse 6, and he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's interesting. Second Chronicles 6, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those. Give me support, God. Isn't that a cool idea? God's just like... Who can I support? God wants to. God wants to. Oh, by the way, the end of that is this, to those whose heart is blameless towards him. No, I'm not getting on a works-oriented God-giving, but I am saying this, James chapter 1, God blesses in the doing. We don't live for Christ because God's going to make me successful. We don't live for Christ because God's going to give me a Lexus. We don't live for Christ because God's going to give me money or a bigger house. We live for Christ because God loves us. And because God loves us, my goodness, and died for us and paid the price for my sin, and as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. My goodness, he took care of my sin problem. There's not much bigger giving that can be from that. And God gave of himself, so my goodness, I get to give myself to him. Oh, by the way, and on top of that, the icing on the cake, you know what? When we do that, God gives. And God rewards. And there's nothing wrong with saying, God, would you bless? But I want to tell you this. You need to examine your life and go, what's there worth blessing? Because God is not a fool. He does not give his blessing. He does not give his rewards 
to people who show a life habit of using it foolishly. But God does give. God gives. Ah, here we go. The last, I've got to wrap it. God gives sovereignly. God gives what he gives. And God gives it when he gives it. Well, I haven't seen God give me much. Oh, you see, oh, God gives every moment, every breath, God gives his grace, God gives redemption, God gives eternity to those who will repent and come to him, God gives forgiveness, God gives grace, God gives the sun coming up every day. God refrains his long suffering from bringing utter judgment on the earth right now, right today, this moment. Oh, God gives. God gives. And you see, we struggle with the, I want him to give the way I want him to give. And here's the deal. God gives sovereignly for his purposes. And sometimes that means for my growth. Sometimes that means just to fulfill his plans. All of it fitting together in his eternal perspective. So be careful. In the theology of bad things come from Satan, good things from God. Because you're going contrary to Daniel chapter 1 verse 2. You're going contrary to James chapter 1. You're going contrary to 1 Peter chapter 1. You're going contrary to the fact that God is sovereign in all things. You're going contrary to Job chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No trial has overtaken you that is not common to man, and God is faithful. And he will not let you be trialed beyond what you are able to handle. Nothing will come our way, for the sovereign God is not allowed for our good and his glory. Lastly, God gives sovereignly just what I need. Just what I need. Just what I need. Now, listen, last statement. It may not be what I want, but it is just what I need. Because I want some other things. <laughs> but God in his wisdom knows, no, just this, like this. I want a building. But you know what? God's given us just what we need, and he's going to move it just in his time. And I don't know what he's doing, but I do know this. God gives. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being a giving, wonderful, awesome, amazing, great, giving, all that wrapped up, God. Oh, God, you give. God, I thank you that you give sovereignly, and I thank you you give us just what I need. Lord, I say all this, and yet you know I'm just like all of us struggling in the reality of sometimes getting bitter or struggling with getting there, wondering if you're in control or wondering if you give, but you do. You give. And we thank you for that. And we know that what you give is sovereignly given just what we need for the glory for you to your greatest capacity possible. And so because of that, we rejoice, we sing, we honor you, right? God, thank you. Amen. Let's stand and sing.